A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Since January this year, the climate crisis has unfolded around the world. Multiple heat waves have engulfed South America, India, Pakistan, Europe, the United Kingdom, the United States, Japan, and for the past two months, southwestern China. And according to one climatologist, China's heat wave has been the worst of them all because. It combines the most extreme intensity with the most extreme length, with an incredibly huge area all at the same time. There is nothing in world climatic history which is even minimally comparable to what is happening in China. For the past two months, southwestern China has been baking in temperatures over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit or forty degrees Celsius. The 80 million people living in the province of Sichuan have been hit the hardest, but the effects of these soaring temperatures in Sichuan are going to be felt much further away. It's going to affect China's food supply, its manufacturing base, and fundamentally, its approach to energy and water. Hello, and welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chek. I'm a science reporter for the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. In this episode, you're going to hear from my colleagues who have been talking to people in and around Sichuan about the situation on the ground, in the farms as well as in the factories. And you'll hear from Shanghai-based sustainability expert Richard Brubaker on the long-term effects of this heat wave on China's economy, its energy sector, and its relationship with water. You most probably know the name of Sichuan because of the famous numbing peppers there, and of Sichuan's cuisine. Maybe you know Sichuan because of the famous panda sanctuary. The farms in the southwestern province grow a huge amount of rice, wheat, canola, citrus fruits, peaches, and sugarcane. But in the villages and farms around Sichuan, the crops have withered and turned brown, while the people do what they can to stay out of the heat. I'm 30 years old, and I've never experienced such temperatures. This is the voice of Deng Chunyan. She lives with her two daughters and her parents in a small village in eastern Sichuan. Summers used to be cool in my hometown. The temperature has been over 40 degrees Celsius for a month, and it hasn't rained once. The highest temperature is normally about 32 degrees. But this summer, it hits 42 degrees. We can't live normally. Everywhere feels hot. The chair is hot. The water is hot. We haven't installed running water in the house. We get water from a well out the back, but the well is dry, so we have to borrow water from our neighbors to cook. The supply of water has been greatly reduced every day. It stops soon after you turn it on every time. 
but Sichuan is more than an agricultural heartland. It's an industrial powerhouse. It's China's sixth largest economy. It produces most of the lithium batteries for China's booming electric vehicle market. It's the base for everything from textile to aviation, spaceflight, biotech, and electronic manufacturers like Intel, Foxconn, Texas Instruments, and Dell. And this is where the heat wave has had the most impact. While people in the countryside like Dunchenyan did their best to stay out of the heat. When temperatures soared above 40 degrees Celsius and stayed there in the cities of Sichuan, the residents did what most people do when it gets hot. Tens of millions of air conditioners are turned on nearly 24 hours a day for weeks on end. And this is where China found itself facing what experts in design and planning call a wicked problem because 80% of Sichuan's electricity comes from the huge number of dams and hydropower in the region. But over the last two months, more than 40 rivers that flow into the Yangtze River have run dry, and a steady, powerful flow of water is the one thing you need to generate hydropower electricity. And this has affected more than 80 hydropower stations across Sichuan, as well as the massive Three Gorges Dam, roughly 800 kilometers downstream on the Yangtze River, cutting the output of hydropower electricity generated by half. So authorities were left with one choice. Electricity was rationed. And suddenly, tens of millions of city residents were trying to find new ways of keeping cool in the baking heat. We go to the mall whenever there's a power outage, and we usually return home at 10 p.m. People gathered in the dark hallways of shopping malls. All the lights had been turned off, and the escalators shut down to conserve electricity. Liu Zhizhou runs a small corner store in the city of Dazhou, northeast of Chongqing. I've never seen the river this dry. It's miserable this year. She's standing in front of what used to be the Zhou River, which flows south through the heart of the city and meets with the Yangtze River. Now, it's just rocks and puddles. We haven't had any rain for 20 days. At this time of year, the river will have flooded a couple of times already. As a result, the hydropower station that runs off the Zhou River was shut down. The electricity goes off from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. in my apartment. My little store doesn't get much power. All the ice cream has melted. The drinks are not cold. The ice cream that's gone was expensive. So I don't open the fridge even when the customers come in. And what does Liu Zhizhou think of how the weather has changed in the past 10 years? It's not normal, not normal at all. We used to walk around barefoot in the countryside. Now you could cook an egg on the road. Echo She is my fellow science team reporter and she was in Sichuan last week. Echo, can you tell us where you went on your reporting trip? 
What did you see there? Sure. Um, I went to Dazhou. It's a small city in Sichuan, a city with five million people, I guess. So it is northeastern part of Sichuan, and it is neighboring the metropolis of Chongqing in southwestern China. And uh, I went to the city and also some rural areas in that city. When I went to Dazhou last uh, Tuesday, I saw it was a very critical time for local people because in some uh, regions in Dajou, the power cut can be as long as eight hours a day. So some local residents just want to find places to avoid the heat. So some of them choose to go to the wartime bunker or go to the underground shopping malls to avoid the heat. And of course, these places are all dark and uh, they would play cards or chat or even have meals inside just to kill time and go back home when there is electricity. In the rural areas, um, I talked to farmers who have been severely impacted by the drought. So what did you hear from the farmers that you talked to? Was this their first experience of drought and were they prepared for this in any way? This definitely was not their first experience of drought. But basically, every farmer told me that this was the most severe drought they had experienced in the whole of their lives. There were drought in previous years, but not as severe as this year. Some farmers told me that their corn yields would be halved because of the drought. And uh, some told me that um, they would not harvest any of their rice. So I think the impact on some farmers is really severe because many of them don't have any preparations because, you know, um, they are located in along the Yangtze River. So before it was like a very good weather condition and they have abundant rainfall before. So they didn't have to use irrigation facilities, but because of this heat wave and drought and they are not that well prepared, so some people would just uh, maybe they don't have any income from the from their fields. What are the next steps for them? Well, um, some people are waiting for the government's help, but till now they haven't heard anything from the government. I talked to some of them, and they and they say, well. Um, they're not sure they're just waiting for, for the government. Meanwhile, because of the drought, a lot of the farmers don't have vegetables to eat because it is very hard for the vegetables to grow and they, they need to buy them. But when they go to the market in the town, there was also no vegetable in the market. So it is a very hard time for them. And one farmer in Bajong city, in the mountainous areas, which is neighboring Dajou, told me that uh, currently at her uh, home, she just uh, had potatoes and salted vegetables. Food shortages sound very serious. Are people worried about it? I guess I have to say that what I'm talking about and what I'm seeing is just a a particular place in Sichuan. It is a very small place, so it may not represent the whole China. And uh, uh, we heard from experts um, saying that um, the autumn harvest may not be uh, impacted by the drought 
because uh, there was abundant rainfall in northwestern China and uh, and the northern China, which are all uh, the main areas for crops. But definitely in some places, um, I guess people will be impacted. So the, the farmer in Bajong told me that she was very concerned about her income and about the food, the vegetables. And uh, um, for that farmer, um, she had two sons. Uh, her younger son is in primary school and older son is in uh, middle school. And uh, she also had a, her father is in his seventies. So it's a family of four and uh, she just uh, has, um, has a job and her monthly salary is around 2000 yuan. So that's all of her income. If she doesn't have any crops or vegetables, like it's very hard for her to live in, in this following year. 2,000 yuan, that means 300 US dollars. That's what she has to feed her family for the month. Echo, we're getting reports of rain now in Sichuan, but it's going to take more than a few days to fill up those rivers and dams. Did the farmers give you any idea of how long it will take for their crops to recover? Some farmers told me that if they have missed the season, like the flowering season or the handy season, they don't have any opportunity to wait for the crops to recover. It means that they will not have this harvest. One of the side effects of this heat wave is that it's shown this one major weakness of the huge reliance on hydropower from the Three Gorges Dam. What did experts tell you when you talk to them? I feel the whole province is built on water and uh, the nature has nurtured a civilization dating back more than 3,000 years ago. It means that it, ha- it had plenty of water from time immemorial. So what happened this year is very rare and unprecedented. I walked along a small river in Dajou. It flows to the um, Jialing River, which is in the upstream of the Yangtze. And I can see the dried up riverbed and I can see the rocks on the riverbed. But what happened in Sichuan is quite interesting because more than 80% of the electricity in Sichuan is generated by hydropower. So when there's no water and then um, all of the industries and uh, maybe some uh, official buildings or some residential areas will be impacted. Some experts in Sichuan just uh, said, well, maybe we should reflect on the role of hydropower in Sichuan because the role is quite large. And uh, if it doesn't work well, it will impact people's lives and uh, the industries. Meanwhile, uh, one expert mentioned that hydropower is um, unsustainable because um, we can see basically right now, every river in Sichuan has built dozens of dams and uh, it is a bad news for the ecology for the animals and and also um i think there are some lessons that can be learned if china wants to achieve the carbon neutrality target some experts mentioned that maybe we should have a mix of everything like we should have some um, gas nuclear hydro and uh, some coal, maybe with some carbon dioxide reduction facilities. Echo, the big question here is how much rain will it take for the Three Gorges Dam to work again? Have you heard any forecast about this? 
Yeah, um, I talk to local people and experts, and uh, I walk through the um, Jinsha River, which is a main tributary of the Yangtze. So one local resident told me that the water level at Jinsha River was about one or two meters lower than previous years. And the experts mentioned that because right now it is already September, so the Yangtze River region, I should say the upper stream of the Yangtze is going to enter the dry season, which means they will have fewer rainfall. It means that maybe the river will not have enough water until next year. Some people are just worried that, well, the power crunch in Sichuan, maybe this is not the last time of this year. If they don't have enough um, water from the uh, upper stream of Yangtze, then maybe we will see power cuts, power rationing, maybe in the following months. Echo, you've been reported on a major climate-related problem, but you're also experiencing the ongoing issue facing China. That's the zero-COVID policy. Where are you now? I traveled to Yunnan after my trip in Sichuan, and currently I'm stranded in a quarantine hotel in Yunnan because the local health authorities ask all of the travelers from Sichuan to have a seven-day quarantine in a hotel. Oh yeah, funny enough, I'm also in a quarantine hotel in Hong Kong. And um, thank you, Echo, for all your hard work in Sichuan. And we'll continue to follow your reports. Thank you. CCG works on the political economy desk at the South China Morning Post and has been covering the Sichuan heat wave and power crisis. Sichi, the rain is starting to fall again. Is this the end of the crisis? Thank you, Holly. I guess so. And now Sichuan is even on flood alert. So climate change is real. And state media reported that from Tuesday, power supply to the industrial and commercial sectors in Sichuan has been back to normal after two weeks of rationing. And in Chongqing, which is another provincial jurisdiction hit hard by the drought and power crisis, also ended all the power rationing measures. And that is actually in line with most of the analysis I got, to be honest, because most of the economists said this round of power crisis is just a short-term situation. And it will be alleviated when, once the rain starts to fall. And that's quite an important thing to note. The Yangtze River is supposed to be running at its highest level at this time of the year and won't be returned to its full flow until at least March or April next year. Some other people on the ground we've talked to said the real situation is far more complicated. And even though the power crisis has ended, the impact of it may be lingering for months because, as you know, China's economy is in a pretty bad shape right now compared to how it was like maybe in the past 30 years. And the power crisis has become another surprise. It has added to the economic pressure on top of the zero COVID policy and the property sector slump. For example, we talked to the president of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China. He said that the rainfall maybe not fully rectify the shortfall caused by the drought because Yangtze River is normally 
at its highest level in summer, which will recede until the rainy season come again in the spring next year. So he said the economic impact will be felt for months. Don't forget, we still have a zero COVID policy right now. For example, in Sichuan provincial capital, Chengdu, even though they have rain, they have power now, they're also seeing a surge in COVID cases in the past few days, which means more lockdowns might be on the way. Sichi, the power rationing in Sichuan has hit one of the most valuable regions of manufacturing for mainland China. The value-added output in Sichuan was 1.52 trillion yuan, or roughly 220 billion U.S. dollars last year. Can you give us an idea of how it's affected industry in the region? So Sichuan is not just famous for its hot pot or panda. It's also a very important manufacturing hub for China. For example, it has very complete supply chain for semiconductors and car parts. So the economist said uh, this current heat wave and subsequent power shortage will have short-term pressure on China's automobile, chemicals, and semiconductor sectors. So Sichi, is the power rationing only in the Sichuan province? No, because Sichuan is a major province of hydropower in China, which means the power generated in Sichuan are usually sent to other provinces, mostly along the Yangtze River Basin, for example, Anhui, Zhejiang, and Jiangsu. And according to official figures, one third of the power generated in Sichuan are sent to other provinces. And that's why we've also seen power rationing in other manufacturing hubs in the coastal area, in provinces such as Zhejiang and Jiangsu, and their important manufacturing hubs for China, which means factories in these provinces were also forced to suspend production from time to time. You've been talking to workers and managers from various industries in the region. What are you hearing from them? The impact is very big because China is the world's factory and many multinational companies have manufacturing bases in China because China is supposed to have the best infrastructure in the world to support their production. But if the power crisis keeps reoccurring, China is risky losing this title. For example, my colleague talked to a steel factory based in Guangdong. And even though there's no power shortage there, the factory also adjusted its working hours to day and night shifts from just operating during the day, just in case there's any sudden power rationing. And meanwhile, three of the provinces that I just mentioned, which are impacted by the power crisis, Sichuan, Zhejiang, and Jiangsu, they're among the six richest regions that Premier Li Keqiang pinned hopes on to leave the country out of its current economic downturn. And China also released its official PMI for August on Wednesday, which gauged the economic trends in the manufacturing sector. So the official manufacturing PMI remained in contraction for a second consecutive month. And this means economic activities stayed very weak in August. And economists said that's partially due to the power shortage caused by the heat waves. 
It's one thing to turn on the lights and the machinery back on in the factories, but after two months of record-smashing heat waves and no rain, it's a very different situation for farmers. How has this affected agriculture in Sichuan? So the drought has affected over three million hectares of farmlands in several provincial level jurisdictions, mostly along the Yangtze River basin. So people are quite concerned about this because they think this may add to the inflation pressure for the rest of the year. But an analyst I talked to said the rich rainfall in the rest of China this year, for example, in the major rice bowl of China in the Northeast, actually can offset the reduced grain output caused by the drought along the Yangtze River. So he said there will be some losses, but the overall picture this year is the grain production is pretty stable. But he also said that the inflation pressure will remain high in the second half this year because of the higher price of pork and other agricultural products that China is heavily relied on exports, for example, soybeans. So Sichi, the rains have finally arrived. Is there a sense that things have turned a corner and are looking better for Sichuan? To be honest, like friends in Sichuan I've talked to, for them, they have disasters after disasters because now they have rain and they have power again, but they also have COVID, which means there will be more lockdowns. And so for them, the nightmare hasn't ended. Richard Brubaker is a sustainability expert based in Shanghai. He's the founder and managing director of the Shanghai-based firm Collective Responsibility and the chair of the American Chamber of Commerce Sustainability Committee. Richard, has this power crisis spurred a rethink of China's reliance on hydropower, do you think? Absolutely. I think that this is a moment where they will look at their overall energy package, the reliance upon hydro, and also just from there, the reliance on believing that the supply of power and renewables from there is the answer. Um, this for me is going to be about an economic story and investing in efficiency and innovation going over the long term to essentially draw down the amount of demand per unit of water, GDP, whatever it is you want to mention, to bring balance to the resources they have available while maintaining kind of their economic prowess. So what other issues has this heat wave reviewed? Let's talk about farmers. What does this do to them? Well, you know, the, the food, water, energy nexus, it's a pretty well-known concept. And it unfortunately is becoming one that's very tangible here. So while a lot of coverage was on the, the power outages in Sichuan, Chongqing provinces to commercial buildings and to factories, this is also an issue about residential access to water and, but more importantly, farmers' access to water. And you know, not just their ability to draw off of irrigation systems or channels, but just in how do they maintain without the rain coming in their crop yields going forward this year. And so we're already seeing stories of that coming out. We're already seeing the impact to food inflation in the cities. And that's going to become a broader global food inflation problem because China will be forced to likely go out into the market looking to replace some of these staples with what should have been grown here locally when they've been really working hard on the food security issue for the last 10 years. And central to the story is the role of the Yangtze River. 
Can you tell us a story about how you've seen the two major droughts in China over the past 20 years? Yeah. So, you know, this isn't our first rodeo, unfortunately. And I remember going up the river on a, on a cruise and, and seeing just how far the water had dropped in the 2010-11 timeframe. And I remember, you know, covering in 2007-8 timeframe where you had boats that couldn't clear through the Wuhan um, bridges and you had some other issues in 2013. So, you know, it's not that you do or do not have floods one year and droughts another, that this is weather. The other issue is that just how the baseline itself changes and how these droughts are getting more and more severe, more and more contracted and having a wider impact over time to energy, to farming, to cities, and just to the river life itself. And that for me is kind of the takeaway for this is having seen the three gorges, both at lows that they were worried about, but also at highs last year where they were concerned that it might top over the dam. It's these fluctuations. It's this constant variability. And how do you manage that um, in, in the system where flood and drought seem to go hand in hand? You also mentioned how this heat wave will affect China's thinking of hydropower. Do you think it will inspire also a rethink of water itself? How is it supplied in the future? At the state level, absolutely. I, I think that this is going to become an economic story or it needs to become an economic story very quickly because we often try and look for a quick way to bring on that extra 5% of energy through a new coal plant or you know, a little bit of savings through shutting down a factory. But if you look at how the price of water is valued right now here, it's dramatically lower than, say, you'd find in Northern Europe or in many other parts of the world. And so what I view will likely happen over the medium to long term is that the price of water will be forced up, and that will force water efficiency programs, energy efficiency programs, you know, food, agricultural technologies to come online. And, and that's all going to come out of this understanding that they could run out of water in the areas where they were known to be water rich. And that is going to be a seismic shift because China's, they know they can't go out to the global market and buy all the food for their own population. They can't import all their energy. They have to find self-sufficiency. And so this will just be a catalyst for hopefully the next level of, of action, which would be you know, to, to increase prices, which would cause an economic pain. But again, offset that against what they're currently looking at, it doesn't seem so painful as if they did, say, six months ago. Is there anyone talking about this in China right now? Has this lead to conversation, you know, among other sustainability groups? Honestly, at this point, no. I think a, what you're seeing is a lot of people just trying to process how the systems are interplaying and what the real issues are. And then, you know, where do you get started? Um, and who do you who do you engage with? Who do you collaborate with? Because, again, the government itself is clearly acting. They're acting very short term to solve the crisis or alleviate the pain, which is shut off the power, turn these things, you know, like turn these things off, save water as much as possible, bring on the, the emergency response. But over the next three months, six months, 12, 18 months, I'm quite sure you will see a number of engagements between academics who are, who are focused on the space, government agencies who will invest in the space, the 863 fund. You will see the, that side of the government come out, which is the investing side, and they will be looking to drive conversations I'm sure you'll see collaborations with with other nations, with companies, with organizations who can bring real solutions. You'll see change. But what changes will come? I think many are still, you know, here's the whole menu. They're going to try and figure out which ones to prioritize. Because, again, remember, China's economic conditions right now, even before this crisis, was, was already tenuous. They were already worried about it, be it from zero COVID, from the trade war, from other things. 
So there's going to be an attempt to find balance and in another environment where balance isn't necessarily the thing that can be found. Looking into the longer terms, what is going to be the ongoing impact on China's economic policies? That's a great question. And I, I personally, I think as a starting point, you need to kind of predict what you believe will be the price of water and what level it should be at to help really catalyze real solutions into this. And then from there, you can back that up. What is what is a, you know, if they double the price of water, quadruple the price of water, what's the impact to food and food inflation? What's the impact to the manufacturing environment? What's the impact to, to residential building standards? Like, Anytime you adjust that one price, you are repricing energy, you're repricing food, you're you're repricing the economy. And so that for me is the key question to be asked and answered. And from there, you can kind of figure out what will the government do with policies? What will companies do to exploit or identify opportunities? Which industries will be kind of left to the wayside over time? Because water intensive, energy intensive industries around these regions, this is a warning. You need to either increase your efficiency or find a new place. And that has all kinds of implications, good and bad for the future. But again, it really comes down to how much will the price of water be? And then from there, I think you can work it out. Richard Brubaker, it sounds like you have a lot of work to do around sustainability in China. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. My name is Holly Chick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside China. A special thanks to my colleague on the video team, Tom Wang, who traveled through Sichuan shooting interviews with the people that you've heard from in this episode. You can find his work on YouTube on the South China Morning Post channel, or you can find it embedded in all of our coverage of China's heat wave on scmp.com. Bye for now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>